Rolling Stones magazine released an updated version of the top 500 albums of all time. A list like this was bound to spark controversy. So I'm here to give my opinion on how these albums stack up. I'm Gibbs, and welcome to the Rolling Review. What is up everybody, Gibbs here with number 463 on the Rolling Stones top 500 greatest albums of all time. It's Laura Nairo with Eli and the 13th Confession. Eli and the 13th Confession is the second studio album by the New York City singer, songwriter, and pianist Laura Nairo. It was released on March 13th of 1968, recorded January and February of 1968. The genre of the album is pop, but has a lot of other genres that we'll get into a little later. It was released on the label of Columbia, producers Laura Nairo, and Charlie Kaleo. There were 13 tracks on this album. Three of them were released as singles, and that's Eli's Coming, Save the Country, and Stone Sour Picnic. Now, I said that this album was released on Columbia Records, but it was originally supposed to be released on Verve Records, as she had done a composition with them and recorded Lucky, and... She played that for her audition with Verve Records in 1966. Verve had already planned to release this album under the title of Soul Picnic. She ended up signing with Columbia, the name of the album changed, and as they say, the rest is history. The album in its entirety was written by Laura herself and arranged by Charlie, the other producer, and... Nairo suggested and insisted that the lyric sheet that was included in the album, which I guess was a rarity for records to even have back in 1968, but she included these in her record, and they were basically doused in perfume, and fans have reported that they can still smell that pleasant scent that is her perfume on the record sleeve today. So if you're lucky enough to own an original copy of this album, take the lyric sheet out and give it a sniff and see if you can still get that perfume fragrance. The themes of this album are passion, love, romance, death, and drugs. As I said earlier, the genre of the album is the pop genre, but it really incorporates a lot of soul and gospel and jazz and a little bit of rock too. So a very diverse collection of songs. This album is considered to be Laura's most accessible and famous work, but it was not the most commercially successful or critically favored album that she had worked on. This album marked the first time that she would reach anywhere in the charts as she reached number 181 on the Billboard 200 but at the time it was known as just pop albums and not Billboard 200. The album was also listed under the 2016 version of Uncut magazine, and it was rated in the 100 greatest albums of all time, so they really thought highly of this album. It is said that this album was a big influencer to... Musicians such as Elton John and Todd Rundgren. It was also an influencer to Paul Schaefer, who is a band leader, 
And he told CBS television at one time that he would consider this album to be one of his Desert Island records. So he thought very highly of this album too. I thought it interesting that they mention that bands would go on to cover songs from this album later and they would actually be more popular than the songs when she released them as Three Dog Night did a version of Eli's Coming and it hit US at number 10 and The Fifth Dimension hit number 3 with a cover of Stone Sold Picnic and number 13 with a cover of Sweet Blindness. So this kind of told me that maybe she is a better songwriter than she is an actual performer. Maybe her versions of the song didn't really hit it off with a lot of people, but she still wrote a good root song that someone else could take and really bring the best out of to make people really like to listen to it. So I kind of started lumping her into more of a songwriter than performer when I saw this, just thinking maybe that was her strong point was the songwriting. And that's not to take anything away from her as a performer, as she obviously is very talented. I was interested to find that none of the vocal tracks on this album were done by backup vocalist. It was all just her. She would lay down multiple vocal tracks. And she does have a very good range, and that's one of the things that she was known for, I guess, was her big range. But I also felt that it was kind of a weakness for her switching between those ranges. As on certain songs like Lucky or Lou, they just seemed where she would have this really powerful alto melody going. And she would try to switch into that upper registry and you lost all the power behind it. And I don't know if that's something that she meant to do. But it just seemed like she just didn't have the power behind her voice that she could really belt out those lower notes and more of the higher notes just seemed like she couldn't get that power behind it and maybe they were more of a struggle for her. And also that got a little pitchy with times for me. It just seems like, I don't know if it was a, meant to be like a dissonance, but it just felt like some of the notes when she swoops is a little flat and I just didn't care for that. And I, I feel like maybe vocally she's not as tight as she needed to be on some of these songs. My other kind of negative critique, I guess, would be that she seemed to really get repetitive in a lot of things that she was doing, especially towards the end of songs when it came to just repeating phrases as I think it was Woman's Blues that really had a part at the track that towards the end it repeats like seven or eight times and had I been listening to it on an actual record I would have thought my record was scratched and it was just skipping in that same line because that's the effect that it gave off is instrumentation and everything just kind of repeated this, I think it was like a three-word phrase that she was saying towards the end, and it's just 
repeated over and over again, and it just felt like it was skipping. And I just didn't really care for that. Now, she does do a lot of good things on this album, too. I was familiar with the song Eli's Coming. I guess I didn't associate it with her. Maybe I had heard the Three Dogs Night version before, but I feel like that's not right either. For some reason, I feel like maybe a show choir or something I listened to did that. But I was familiar with that song when I started hearing it. And I really do enjoy that song. And I enjoy how it's written because it has that kind of slow, ominous beginning to it. And then it builds into this more upbeat, great thing. So I think that that's probably her strongest track on the album. And she really shines in that vocally and the instrumentation feels good and the whole song as a whole is just a really strong track on the album so that's probably my favorite one i also enjoyed poverty train i thought that that was a really good track on there and she does do a lot of good storytelling through most of these songs sometimes like i was saying in certain songs, she gets really repetitive with what she's doing, but other times, she was able to really tell a good story. Like in Once It Was All Right Now, Farmer Joe. I felt like that had good story to it. And there were some other tracks on there that were strong. But Eli's Coming definitely stood out to me and was my favorite. As for where this lands personally on my album list so far, I feel bad dropping it down as far as I'm going to drop it down because it necessarily wasn't a bad album. It just, it didn't check a lot of the boxes that I normally look for and I felt like it wasn't necessarily as strong as some of the other albums I had listened to and... I just feel like I know I said it earlier that she was stronger as a songwriter and maybe not as a performer. As once again citing the fact that her songs became more popular when other artists performed them. So I think I'm going to move this one back to 484 for the time being, which is right below the spot of Richard and Linda Thomas's record because I feel like it was almost in that same category and same feel as that record and I wasn't able to really find a lot on sales or popularity and it just seemed again the songs on the album were more popular when someone else did a rendition of them so I'm placing this one at 484 for now, which moves the Isley Brothers up to 463 for the time being. As always, feel free to give me your thoughts and opinions by reaching me, the Rolling Review at yahoo.com, or going over to Facebook, searching at the Rolling Review, and liking the fan page where you can leave your comments and thoughts there. And you can also see the list that we have done so far. I can't tell you how excited and happy I was to see that audience numbers have went up and the number of listens have went up. And I'm just really, it gives me the energy to keep going and keep listening through these albums 
Because sometimes I get to albums that I don't know the artist, and it, it gets hard sometimes to find that motivation to keep listening through these, but I find it when I look there and I see the number of plays and see that people are catching up and I hope that you're waiting for the next one and ready for it and it just gets me really excited so I want to thank everyone who's listening always appreciating if you share this with someone that you know that really enjoys music or even just wants to learn a little more about different genres than they've listened to kind of like I've been doing throughout all this Next time at 462, we have the Flying Burrito Brothers with the Gilded Palace of Sin, which I would just like to say the Flying Burrito Brothers is probably one of the best band names that I've seen. So I'm really looking forward to diving into that one and seeing what the Flying Burrito Brothers have to offer. Until then, I'm Gibbs. This is The Rolling Review. Stay safe and be kind.